Welcome to the HCC Podcast. Our mission is to nurture love for God, love for self, and love for others as the highest goal of humanity. May the following message nurture that love in your life. And remember, you're always welcome at HCC. It's a perfect church for less than perfect people. Peace. To prepare to hear God's Word from God's spokesperson. Who is God's spokesperson? God's spokesperson in the Bible are prophets and priests and pastors. That's who God's spokespeople, by and large, were formally, officially through the church. Hebrews 4.12, in fact, tells us that God's Word is alive and it is powerful. It is living and active, it says. So let's posture our souls to engage the powerful and living words of God today. So if you can, would you please stand with me? I want to lead you into a particular prayer that postures ourselves well to hear God's word. And as we go through 2022, we're just going to consistently open ourselves in this way. And I want to invite you into it. If you completely disagree, if you're just wondering, thinking about the Lord, you're not sure about this whole Christianity thing, I get it. No worries. I get it. No problem. We're just glad you're here. But I want to invite you to stand before the Lord and open your hands. And the reason I say this is a good way to pray is because when we open our hands, it's forced. Naturally, your hands are by your side. Naturally, there are palms down on your thighs when you sit down. But when you open your hands, you actually have to twist yourself a bit and open up. And that is symbolic of us truly relinquishing control, relinquishing our will to God's will, and opening ourselves to God. So when we pray, I want to encourage you to, to, when you pray, open your hands to God in 2022 and begin the habit of saying, you give, you take away, blessed be your name. I know you can sing, and I heard you just a few minutes ago, but can you open your hands and truly see everything God's given you and everything God's taken and recognize, I bless your name. This is a great challenge. So say this with me as you open your hands to God in a symbolic gesture of availability. Just say this out loud or under your breath, whatever you want to do with me as I lead you. God, I will slow my breath and relinquish my worries. I open my hands to pray. Come, Holy Spirit, to my mind. I receive your comfort Come, Holy Spirit, to my heart, I receive your peace. Come, Holy Spirit, to my soul, I receive the Father's love for me. I am here to receive what you have for me today. Now listen carefully before you're seated. The God who love you, loves you says this, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you, I will sustain you, I will rescue you. This is the great I am. He's referencing that moment when he said, when Moses, when, when Moses said, who do I tell them you are? And he said, tell them I am. He's saying that to you right here, right now. I am he. 
I am He who will sustain you. I have made you, and I will carry you, and I will sustain you, and will rescue you. God bless you. You can be seated. Now let me qualify that verse just a little bit. Because the promise to sustain, the promise to carry, and the promise to rescue us are all promises from an eternal perspective. So don't imagine that God is here in some way promising you that you'll never have a bad hair day. Look around you. There's some bad hair days here. Okay, somebody to wear stocking hats in, you pulled it off, you know, static, you know, all that. It's not like God's promising you that that's never, ever going to happen. It's not like God's promising you perfect health or constant financial ease or you're always going to be promoted at your job. Total comfort, total convenience is not what this is promising. When you entrust your life to God, the God of the Bible, you can be confident that God will sustain, carry, and rescue you in a way that God deems best. Not in the way we deem best. And isn't that a problem in our relationship with God? He doesn't do what we want. He doesn't always do what we say. God, do this. We're praying about this. I'm praying about it in the right way. I said all the right things. I posture myself. I got on my knees. I opened my hands like Pastor Steve said, now give it to me or take it from me or whatever we're praying about. God will always intervene in your troubles with the three R's of answered prayer. Let me walk you through them. The three R's of answered prayer, they are this. Removal. How many of us really love to pray that prayer? God, remove this, remove this person, remove this thing, remove this thorn. Paul prayed it too. We pray it. We pray. That's a reasonable prayer. And, and sometimes God will, in fact, remove that thing that we're asking him to remove. But then sometimes God grants relief. Maybe he doesn't remove it. Maybe there's relief. But there's a third R, and it's a third R where most of us live most of the time, and that is resilience. The three R's of answer prayer are removal, relief, and resilience. The God of the universe does not take orders from us or subscribe to our wishes. Like a loving father, just like I didn't do everything my kids wanted me to do or grant every permission that my kids wanted, like a loving Father, God will do what's best for us. Our Heavenly Father, the God of the universe, is ultimately kind, ultimately loving, and ultimately has your best interest at heart. This is what trusting God means. Knowing and living at my pay grade while recognizing and not attempting to assume his pay grade because most things in life are above my pay grade. How about you? Most things in life are above my pay grade requiring me to simply trust God. But he also didn't call us to be fools. He called us to be wise. So how do we trust God? I want to tell you how I trust God. 
Here's how I trust God. I trust God and wear a seatbelt. I trust God, yet pay attention to where the exit doors and life jackets are on a plane. I trust God and use oven mitts when removing hot dishes from the oven. Maybe your faith is greater than mine. I don't know. I trust God and set my house alarm at night. I trust God and take my prescription medications. I trust God, yet vote and advocate for right government. I trust God, and you just continue to fill in the blank. This year's theme for us is fundamentally rooted in this notion of trusting God, even when it makes no earthly sense to do so. This year's theme for HCC, our soul family, will challenge you more deeply than any other theme that I have ever brought to you. And for, for 15 years now, I've been bringing theme after theme after theme as the lead pastor to you. As I go away on retreat and come back and God is speaking to me and I'm speaking to you, I'm delivering to you at the first of this 2022 year this sense of what it means to trust God. And this year will be a year, I believe for me and also for you, of God tearing down all of the jury rigging that we've done with our spiritual lives. All of the duct tape bailing wire and caulk that we've used to sort of patch up, gloss over, make it look nice. My wife and I were helping our, uh, my in-laws, her parents, uh, fix up their house and we were removing uh, certain nails and hangers from the wall and I came back in and it looked like there was nothing there and I said how what we don't have spackling yet how did you do this I don't have my trowel and my sander and she said I don't even know trowel and sander toothpaste I said what well anyway took away all my man power tool kind of stuff I wanted to do but in any event it was brilliant but we often do that with our spiritual lives. Because if you go to try to put something back in the spot you fill with toothpaste, it's not really going to work very well. And all of a sudden you're going to be found out. In fact, some of the ancients, in fact, um, a way to tell a fake in the Middle Ages of a, of a piece of sculpture. Like, like there were, they were uh, um, what do they call them? Um, they were fake uh, Davids. Michelangelo sculpted David, and they were fake Davids. And the way someone could tell if it was a fake or a genuine article was to apply heat. Because what would happen is the artists weren't as good as Michelangelo, so they would fake it by using wax and then color that wax in a way that hopefully couldn't be detected. So a person who wanted to purchase a great work of art would say, is this original, is this a real, or is this fake? And they would put it through the heat. And if the wax melted and they saw the max wax running down, they knew it was a fake. When the heat's turned up in your life, do you melt? Do you melt? When there's intensity, when you're feeling your blood pressure rise, when you're starting to get angry, is that you melting? When you get incredibly disappointed, crestfallen, and then you don't want to get out of bed, and all, what is that? What is that? What is it when we recognize we've lost something and then we feel completely undone and perhaps abandoned by God? What, where, where, what is that? Trust in 
God. As we pray this year, the prayer of David, Lord, search me and know me, reveal any wrong way in me, remake me, remold me into your image. As we pray that prayer, and in keeping with 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, we humble ourselves before the Lord. We turn from any anti-Christ thought or deed. Then I'm anticipating, and I think you can anticipate, that the Holy Spirit is getting ready to go to demo day. And my spiritual faking, he's going to tear down or apply heat and melt away and start the process of spiritual remaking, remodeling in my world and in my life. Welcome to 2022 at Heritage Community Church Soul Family. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I think I might want to select a church that's got a much happier. Uh, let's go to a church that's saying, hey, this year we're just going to have fun. I get it, but I really do believe that the Holy Spirit is about this work of tearing down the jury rigging of the American church, and you're a part of it. COVID is a part of it. Government tension is a part of it. Racial tension is a part of it. Economic frustration pressure is a part of it. We're all a part of it. And don't think there's something wrong. God's got a plan. And you are a part of that plan. And any remodeling project always has a what? Demo day. Always has a demo day. Now, the secret of contentment. Let's work through some of these slides. 2022. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anybody want to weep a tear with me? I don't know what happened. It was just 1999. Y2K just happened. I don't know what, I don't know what happened, where it went, 2022, oh my goodness. You know, Bob Dylan's got a line that says, I, I thought I would be sleeping in a pine box by now, is what he said when he was much older in his age, he wrote, wrote that line. Our 2022 theme is contentment is Christ, the notion of Shalom. Shalom. You've heard that word before. It's not just a lyric in an old Jewish worship song. It is actually a principle that is just repeated over and over and over again. Over 300 times in the scripture, God uses this word shalom in order to be able to get across the point that he wants his people to live contented lives. The sense of holistic shalom. Shalom is a holistic word in the Hebraic language, and it means comprehensive. There is a sense of comprehensive contentment. Now, let's go a little bit further and recognize shalom in Isaiah 26.3. It's a quintessential verse for this. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. So this is a bit of a conditional statement. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust. If you don't trust in God, you can't be kept in perfect peace. Trust and being kept in his peace is mutually inclusive. You will be kept in perfect peace 
all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. What does the scripture in the New Testament tell us? Fix your eyes on Jesus. We, we have sung the song through Christian life often. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We sing about it. But somehow, someway, it doesn't make the move from the lyric page, from the hymnal, from the screen to our lives. 2022 is going to change that. And if you're willing to walk through 2022 with me, I want you to know that shalom is ultimately in your future. A sense of holistic peace and contentment. Isaiah 9, 6, for a child is born to us. Well, we're, we're just off of Christmas. I've got a bit of a Christmas hangover. Isaiah 9, 6. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, this is a prophecy not about a condition, but about a person. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. He is Mighty God. He is Everlasting Father. He is Prince of Peace. In Isaiah, looking towards the future, looking to that first Christmas, he was looking not to a condition brought about by government arrangement, brought about by political or military savvy or might. He was looking to a point where he was saying, there is a person coming, and that person coming is peace. Shalom. And only when we know that person do we know that peace. Because as we trust in the Prince of Peace, we experience shalom, an increasing sense of holistic peace and contentment. Another hangover scripture from Christmas. Peace on earth. Peace in the Greek language, is enrene. Enrene. It simply means the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, fearing nothing from God and content with any earthly circumstance. That's directly from the Greek lexicon, which is the way you figure out what Greek words mean. So this word used here is a prediction that peace was on earth and peace is a person. And when you have the person of Jesus, you have the Prince of Peace living in you. It's not external circumstances or the arrangement of them in a way that makes you happy. Peace, contentment, shalom, is indeed a person. So, contentment is Christ. What we're learning as we move through these scriptures is that contentment is indeed Christ. Contentment is indeed shalom, peace. Peace is a person. 
And when you know that person, you know peace. Don't you love bumper sticker theology? You've, you've seen it before, haven't you? N- know Jesus, know peace, K-N-O-W. Know Jesus, K-N-O-W, peace. Know Jesus, N-O, Jesus, know peace. This is simply what the scripture is teaching us. That as we live with Jesus, as we walk with Jesus, as we abide in Jesus, as we recognize his presence all day long at work, in the car, in the kitchen, at home, everywhere, we are living with peace. We are living with shalom. We are living with contentment because contentment is Christ. I love this proverb, it's, it's an ancient proverb, it's pretty common in many writings. A harvest of peace is produced from a seed of contentment. Jesus said to his followers, if you just have a mustard seed of faith, just a mustard seed of faith, you could look at that mountain and say, be uprooted and thrown into the sea. Now, you may think, why can't I do that? I cannot even look at a mound of laundry and and do that. I cannot even look at a mound of dishes and do that. I want to be able to look at a mound of dishes and say, be ye removed. I want to be able to do that. And some people say that's what we're talking about. It's not what we're talking about. Jesus did not mean for you to literally look at Mount Everest and make it uproot and cast into the sea in some literal kind of way. What Jesus did intend here in the sense of a mustard seed of faith is that you'll be able to look up and beyond the mountain of trouble in front of you. And when you do, you will see your God, the Prince of Peace, who living in you, and as you lift your gaze off of the mountain of trouble in front of you and you fix your eyes on Jesus, he will give you a peace It passes all understanding because the world is screaming, look out, the mountain is crumbling upon you, it's going to consume you, it's going to kill you, it's going to devastate you. Isn't it horrible, horrible, horrible? And you're fixed on Jesus and the Prince of Peace is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you. Therein lies the power of a proverb like this applied to the very faith that we have in Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who is the seed of contentment where we recognize that a giant tree of contentment can grow up and overshadow and provide the shade of rest and peace for God's people. Yes, a harvest of peace is produced from a seed of contentment because contentment is Christ. Contentment is not complacency. I've said to people before, because it's my habit, it's my habit to say to people, say, hey, how you doing? And I say, content, how are you? And they'll say, oh man, sorry. Uh, That's a bummer. And I'll say, I don't think you know contentment like I know contentment. And they're like, no, no, I mean, it's like contentment. I mean, just complacency, you kind of just gave up, right? Oh, that's what you're thinking. Contentment is somehow giving up. Paul never meant that contentment was giving up. Paul didn't lay down and roll over. Paul kept going in spite of any external circumstance 
Believe you me, if we ever have an example of contentment not being complacency, it is the very personhood of Paul and his story throughout the book of Acts all the way up to Rome. (laughs) That is not complacency. Contentment, biblical contentment, is never complacency. It is never giving up, resigning. That's why during this COVID season, I've challenged you over and over and over again to not step back and sit down. I've challenged you to stand up and step out. Because that's exactly what Christian people do in times of trouble and difficulty and struggle. They know that the only way out is through and they know that the only way out is by following the shepherd. And as we turn our eyes towards Jesus and we look beyond the mountain of troubles and problems that the 24 cycle news channel focuses on every day, all day long, and we look up, not in complacency, but full of vigor and full of entrepreneurism and full of desire to see the mission of God accomplished in the earth where His will is done and not our own. Therein lies the power and sense of contentment that has nothing to do with complacency. Contentment is not cavalier. It is not a fatalistic kind of approach. It is not, oh well, whatever. It is not that at all. In any way, Jacob, who preached a couple Sundays ago, mentioned to us that a term, a sense in our culture is this sense of meh, meh. It's like an actual like, word that they're trying to define, a sound they're trying to define right now. What does that mean? It means that the culture is becoming convic- complacent and cavalier with everything. Nothing really matters. Ah, whatever, you know, roll to the next thing, scroll on, you know, run on to the next thing, forget about it, take it lightly, whatever, doesn't matter. Everything's fatalistic. It's in the moment. You move on to the next moment. You forget the last moment. You don't care about the future moment. Now, contentment is not complacent and it is not cavalier in any way. Cavalier means you don't take it seriously. Cavalier means you're just waiting for something to thrill you. Contentment is not that at all. Not complacent nor cavalier. Contentment is ease of mind. Contentment is ease of mind. Does that describe you? Do you want that? Do you feel that? Yes, ease of mind. Does this describe you? A tranquil soul. This is going back to the definition of the Greek word contentment and shalom and peace. A tranquil soul assured of your salvation through Christ, fearing nothing from God or human, trusting God, content with any earthly circumstances. Psalm uh, 131, which we often reflect on on Mother's Day, talks about peace It talks about contentment, and it describes it as a baby content in its mother's arms. I love it when I or my wife or her mother is feeding my little grandbaby, and she's taking that bottle, and then as she drinks, she gets milk drunk. And then she slowly starts slobbering, blah, 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 blah. and then she just sort of like rolls over and lets everything go, and the blah, it's just amazing. Content, like a weaned baby, the scripture says, in its mother's arms. Wow. 
That's what the child of God is. That's what the people of God are called to be. To trust God in a way that we can relax, give ourselves to the very providence and sovereignty of God, trusting that He knows better than us, trusting in God in such a way that contentment and no external circumstance can possibly come between us. Does this describe you? Do you want it to? The word for contentment in Philippians 4.11 means independence of external circumstances. Now, I get it. You know, um, when, when I fall down or, or I get binged in the head by my surfboard or something like that, I mean, I feel it. I feel it. When I get hurt by someone, someone betrays me, I feel it. So it's, this is not numbness. It's just transcendence. It's not that you don't feel is that did you recognize that your feelings are not an indication of God's loss of control or sovereignty or providence in your life? Because you feel hurt and betrayed or scared or sad or whatever it is, grief-stricken is not the problem. The problem is when you identify that as the only source of definition or identity for you. Where you look at your grief and you look at your crisis or disappointment and you say, this is me, this is all of me then you have taken your eyes off of Jesus and you're focusing on the mountain of trouble in front of you and you cannot be content in that circumstance. And contentment is Christ. The word for contentment in Philippians 4.11 means independence of external circumstances. Not that they're not real. Not that they don't happen. Not that you don't embrace them and feel your way through them. But that you know they don't define you and they don't dictate your life. Our annual passage for this year is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 13. I want to encourage you to mark that in your Bible. Mark that in your digital Bible. Mark that in your app or whatever you're using to follow this. Write it on a sticky note. Put it up. Read it often. Read it daily. An annual passage, Philippians 4, 6 through 13. Now, our, our uh, theme for the year is contentment is Christ for sure. Here's the annual memory verse. We have an annual scripture passage, but here's the annual memory verse. Philippians 4, 11b through 13. Whenever a pastor says 11b or 11a, it just means the second part of the first part of the verse. So I'm saying the second part of verse 11 in chapter 4 of Philippians. For I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to be in need and know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. This is a promise to you that you also, like Paul, will be able to live this kind of life independent of external circumstances, transcendent of the things that attempt to define you. When people say to you, you're no good, you're saying, I don't believe you. When people say, you're bad, you're a loser, you're a disappointment, you don't matter, you're worthless, you say, I don't believe you. It's as simple as that. Because you believe a God whom Paul believed. And your contentment is in Christ. Not in comments or commentary from anyone else. 
Not from your circumstances, your parents, your wife, your husband, your child. When your child looks at you and says, you're evil for taking my phone, you say, I don't believe you. (laughs) And they're not going to know what to do. And that's a great feeling as a parent. This is our annual memory verse. Did you mark it down? Because I'm going to make you say it over and over and over again. And I hope you'll practice it with me. Sometimes I'm just going to call people out in service. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Relax. You people that are online just said, oh, well, I'm never coming back in person. Come on. Antiphonal mantra. You know what an antiphonal thing is. You know, I say something, you say something. You say something, I say something. This is what we're going to do. Pastor, this is me. I'm the pastor. I'm the one. What's the secret? Remember, we're always previously saying, what time is it? Now, this year, we're saying, what's the secret? You say, thank you. And then I say, then live the secret. Let's do it again. What's the secret? Live the secret. Sounds really simple, doesn't it? The hard work is connecting Sunday to Monday. That's the hard work. Featured purpose is apprenticeship. Now you might say, why apprenticeship? Apprenticeship, that seems like a silly word. I don't know what that, what do you mean that word? Well, plumbers have apprentices, you know, master plumbers have apprentices, master electricians have apprentices, master accountants and doctors and all everybody's got apprentices, but they don't call them disciples. You know, no accountant says, here are my disciples. <laughs> you know, no uh, mechanic says, here are my disciples. They say, here are my apprentices. And it makes sense. It's intuitive. So the idea is discipleship. Yes, that's what we're going for. It's a biblical term. It's a religious term, a Christian term. But we're looking for uh, apprenticeship. So the HCC Soul Family Flow, this is for you and for everybody. Now, I know you're not going to be able to see these little arrows, but I'm going to get to that in a minute. Here's the flow of the way in which you should be flowing if you're interested in being involved in an apprenticeship program at Heritage. Number one, welcome to the community. This is the community, the crowd, the people that are online. I get that. Then you're moving Moving into rooted. Rooted is the way in which you get rooted in your faith in God, your love for God, and rooted in the church by knowing God. Thirdly, emotionally healthy spirituality and emotionally healthy relationships. Now, I I know in just a moment you're going to say, what? Ten weeks for rooted? Who does ten weeks? You do. You do ten weeks on a diet. You do ten weeks on taekwondo. You do ten weeks in Little League. Come on. You can't fool me. Rooted, I know you can do 10 weeks. You do it all the time. EHS, EHR, emotionally healthy spirituality, emotionally healthy relationships. That's 16 weeks. Yes, 28 weeks. Taekwondo is all the time. Sports run all year long. I have parents who tell me, I can't do rooted, but they can do sports all the time, three or four times a week for a whole 52 weeks. This is us saying we are dedicated to apprenticing Jesus. We want to get better at this. And then we move on into life groups and doing life together. Let's look at this simply. Number one, you get yourself in the commun- from the community into the crowd. Number two, you move yourself from the crowd, which is this, into rooted. You get yourself into a rooted group. When we open it up and advertise it, you get in it. You make a commitment to it. It's moving from the crowd into the congregation. It's recognizing that first part of the great commandment. That is our mission. What is our mission? To love God, love self, and love others. Who gave us that mission? Jesus. Loving God is being rooted in God's love and rooted in God's people. 
Emotionally healthy spirituality and emotionally healthy relationship is the being part. It gets deep into the being, not just knowing about God, but being a Christian. It gets into your soul deeply. And that's 16 weeks of consecutive meetings where you're working through material, you're meeting with other people, you're doing small groups together. It's a, it's a course, it's working through that material. And so as you do that, you'll move from the congregation into the committed and then ultimately into life groups as you serve the church and the community. And that's the doing part of it. It's moving from the committed into the core. This is a systematic way in which that we engage this process of apprenticing Jesus. It's an apprenticeship process. It starts with the crowd and it moves into the congregation and then it moves into the committed and then it moves into the core. We are moving deeper and deeper into the things of God and into the people of God because that is our eternity. And we might say, the greatest gift that I can give my kids is another soccer team to be on. Another basketball, I get that, that's a very nice thing. But if your kid grows up and you didn't give them the fundamental gift of becoming an apprentice of Jesus, then you have wasted your marbles. The weeks have been wasted. I'm challenging you. The jury rigging has got to come down. The duct tape, the bailing wire, the caulk has got to be torn out. We have got to gut ourselves before he can rebuild ourselves and we be remodeled in his image. And sometimes we have been built by the fabricators of culture and not Christ. We have been built, designed, constructed by the culture and not Christ. And it's painful to tear all that stuff down but it's rotten and it won't stand the pressure of the storms of life. So I'm challenging you to get yourself into an apprenticeship program. The featured soul training exercise for this year is memorizing scripture and I gave you the memory verse. Not just that verse, pick other verses, pick passages and begin to memorize them as we walk through 2022. Now don't get on some kind of crazy OCD obsessive kind of thing like you've got to do this to get into heaven. You just need to do this because it's good for your soul. It's going to bring you into a deeper understanding of Jesus and you will begin to live a life of contentment that transcends external circumstances where you will be able to look back in the devil's face and say, <laughs> I don't believe you. That's a good place to be. When trouble and problems come up in your life, when diagnoses come up in your life, when financial forecasts come in your life, when political outcomes come up in your life, when promotions or not promotions come up in your life and the devil wants to speak and tear you down, you just simply say, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. The secret of contentment. This is where we're going in 2022. I hope you'll go with me. Spiritual warfare, and that's what we're really doing here. Spiritual warfare is a very popular topic in evangelical Christianity. It's often referenced as something that only super spiritual, super trained prayer specialist can really do. I don't find that in the Bible at all. What I do find in the Bible, in the scope 
and sequence of the Bible is that spiritual warfare that results in ultimate victory is waged and won by simply committing to what Eugene Peterson described as a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. You don't get lucky with contentment. Contentment does not just happen. You don't come to an altar of prayer and receive contentment. Contentment is cultivated. You get that cultivated word? Cultivation is an agricultural word. It means you work the land. And the land you work is your soul. Your soul includes your body, your mind, your feelings, your social engagements, your will. It involves all of it. The soul is all of you. You work the land of your soul to cultivate contentment so you stand out in the culture like a contrast citizen that doesn't live here and wasn't made for this brokenness. It isn't made for this culture. And you know that you're just passing through. And you know that you're on to a better land. But in the meantime, you are cultivating a sense of contentment that causes everyone else to look at you and say, that person's so weird. They don't seem to fear anything. They don't seem to cower in any circumstance. They seem to transcend and be independent of all external circumstances. Why are they not running around like Chicken Little? Because Christ is contentment and the secret is that Christ lives in you. Let him loose in 2022. Contentment is cultivated. It's cultivated surely and slowly over a lifetime as we walk with the Lord. In Matthew 11, Jesus instructs us to, to keep company with Him. He says, contentment comes from keeping company with me and learning how to live light and free. Does that describe your life? Do you want that kind of life? You can have it. And if you'll let me, I'm going to teach you from the best of my ability to have it in 2022. Would you stand with me? I want to encourage you to start cultivating contentment by tilling the soil of your soul with Philippians chapter 4, 11b through 13. It's a good, easy, read translation in the New Living Translation, the NLT. We sell those Bibles out in our ministry center. You can get them at Walmart. You can get them at Amazon. New Living Translation. It's a wonderful, readable translation. Very, very great fidelity to God's Word and the integrity of the original language. It's very good. Start memorizing that passage. Start cultivating the soil of your soul with the tiller blades of that passage. Philippians 4, 11b through 13. But for right now, for right now, in this moment, you that are at home and you that are online watching at the gym on Wednesday or Tuesday or, or you're in your commute on Friday and you're just getting around to church, hey, welcome. But you that are right here right now, I'm telling you, listen how the Bible describes this moment. In cyberspace and in real time, God is describing this moment. 
And he's describing the whole of your life, in fact. If you choose to love and live with God, the Lord who loves you says this, we are in the very presence of God. This is the Bible, folks. The psalmist is saying to us in chapter 73, verse 28, we are in the very presence of God. Not just now, but always. Oh, how refreshing it is to be in a staff meeting and know that that staff meeting doesn't define you. To be in that evaluation and know that that evaluation is not the end-all, be-all evaluation. To take a look at your bills and look at your struggles and look at your health report and say, this doesn't define me. Oh, oh, how refreshing it is that we have made the Lord God our home. 